So if you take a moment and close your eyes and imagine life in 10 years, what do you see? A lot of things can happen in 10 years. Kids grow up real fast. The rest of us grow older. A lot of life-changing events can take place in 10 years. But we just imagine. We really don't know. God knows. God knows everything all at once. He knows how things will unfold. And God has a plan and a will for your life for good. Now we believe that because he says it. And it is proven to be true through time. God has a plan, a will for your life, and it is good. And nothing you can do on your own will be better. <laughs> we try, but nothing can be better. And yet it's not just about in 10 years will I be in a certain location or have a certain occupation. In 10 years, the most important thing that God wants to do in your life is to develop your relationship with him. To take you from where you are now to where he wants you to be. For all of us. Now, if you're a brand new Christian, you kind of see that accelerated, real, like everything changes real quickly. For those of you that have come to Christ in just the last few years, that initial growth is pretty rapid and pretty dramatic. But for those of us that have known the Lord for many years, it's not so dramatic. And it's easy, if we're not careful, to just coast. To just coast. God does not want you to coast. And if anyone in our story in Exodus could tend to coast, it would be Moses. <laughs> but we're going to find in this chapter, really chapters 33 and 34, his longing and his desire to know God more, to know him better. Now, as Josh was reading just a moment ago, you may be puzzled by the fact that Moses knew God face to face and yet it says in the scriptures no man will see my face and live and we'll kind of get into that here in a little bit but chapter 33 is our our main text and we have a lot of verses when we go through the old testament it's it's not as easy as when we went through the sermon on the mount I had like one sentence <laughs> so we're unpacking a lot but I want you to stay with me on this because to me it's so profound, not only what God's doing in the life of Moses, but in the lives of all of Israel. And currently today, all the scripture that we read about that, that takes place years ago, centuries ago, has incredible relevance for us relationally with him. So how does Moses respond after they've gone through some some high drama. He comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. You remember that he comes down with the Ten Commandments? I mean, this is the law of God. And he sees the people have created a golden calf and are worshiping a golden calf. 
And in his anger, he throws it down and he grinds it, uh, the calf, the golden calf up into powder, makes him drink it. And, and the Lord had said to him, stand back, Moses, and I will destroy these people and make a new nation for you. But Moses intercedes, says, Lord, you can't do that. You've, you've made this promise. Now, the Lord was making a point in all of this. And then, after they go through this, this whole experience, <clears throat> he says something pretty dramatic in chapter 33 and verse 3. Uh, verse three. He says, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. That's pretty good, isn't it? Okay, go up to the promised land. Where are we going? Egypt to the promised land. But then he says, but I will not go up with you. Go, but I'm not going to go with you. And this whole book is about relationships. So, so this startles Moses. And, and so he has this interchange with God in chapter 33 and, and really makes three requests. He, in, in verse 13, he says, please show me your ways. In verse 15, he says, show me your presence. He says, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up. So show me your way, show me your presence. And then in verse 18, he says, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. I'm going to focus on that last request because the other ones we've pretty much covered, you know, show me the way. We're, we're basically going from Egypt to promised land, but, but it's, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So it's, it's not getting there. It's, it's getting to relationship along the way that he's looking forward to. And, and if your presence doesn't go with us, uh, do not bring us up from here. So the cloud by day guiding them and showing the presence of the Lord, the pillar of fire by night showing his presence, uh, all of these are powerful things. But when he says, show me your glory, why does, why does he make that request, and what does it mean? Show me your glory. And I think that, that uh, when, I, when I stop and consider that, Moses really wants to know God more. He wants his relationship to be deeper, stronger, and more intimate. Not everybody in Israel will feel that way, <clears throat> but it will be what I want to challenge us with today is David prayed in Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. That's what God wants for you, to long after him and to know him more. J.I. Packard, <clears throat> one of the great theologians of the past hundred years, said this, he said, we can know God at three levels, awareness, description, experience. You can know God, be aware of his creation. You can read about him, how he's described. And the third way to know him is by experience, by personal experience. And that's what we're really talking about here. And I like to ask this question to you, at what level do you know God? 
Well, I know there is a God. I see it in all creation. I just believe it. Or you know God intellectually. I mean, you read about it. You read it every day. You know all these facts about God. Or do you know God, as it's described here, as Moses, face-to-face as a man speaks with a friend? You know God as your friend. That's where we want to be in 10 years, growing and developing. So this morning, as we consider just this phrase, the, the, the request, show me your glory. We're going to see his acknowledgement. Moses acknowledges God's glory. He's acknowledging him. He is seeing him. And then he's reflecting him. So show me your glory. What do you think of when you think of the glory of God? The glory, the glory of God. We think of the glory of sports. Um, you know, they used to have on wide world of sports, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat is glorious of, of something. We think of many words, honor, grandeur, renown, excellence, splendor, magnificence, transcendence, wonder, elegance, preeminence, great beauty, acclaim. In Exodus 24, in verse 17, we, we, a few weeks back, read this verse. Now, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. That's what it's like. The glory of the Lord is like a devouring fire. In Psalm 8, 1, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. In the New Testament, the word is used doxa, doxology. We get the, the word doxology. And in the Old Testament, we read here, kavod means weight. You know, weight. God has weight. Substance and weight. So his glory... I don't know that I could define it <laughs> because how do you define the glory of God? But I could describe it. I would describe it in this way. That the glory of God is his weight. It is the sum total of all that he is. Now, that in itself is incomprehensible. We, we, can, we can behold some of it. We see some of it. We understand some of it incrementally. But we could not stand in his presence and actually see him without being devoured. So when I think of this, and, and I know I, I, I hate going through lists, but, the, but to me to contemplate what his glory is, it is his holiness, meaning he's perfect. That's his weight, his transcendence. He is above all things of time, of space, his self-existence. He was not created. He has no end. He sustains himself, his self-sufficiency. God doesn't need anything. You know, people today say, like, God needs you to do this, and God needs you to do this, or, or God needs this. God doesn't need anything. <laughs> he's self-sufficient. He's eternal. 
He's immutable. In other words, he never changes in his character. He can change in answer to prayer, answers to prayer, but he does not change his promises, and he does not change his character. He's omnipresent everywhere at once, <laughs> through all time. Isn't that amazing? He's everywhere at once. And is just as attentive as, a, as we could possibly be, more so. He is omniscient. He knows everything. There's not anything that God doesn't know. He's omnipotent. He can do anything. There's nothing too hard for God. And it says, goodness, all his mercy, kindness, favor, love, his patience, his faith, all of these things. His veracity, he's always truthful. His justice, he will always do the right thing. His sovereignty, he rules over all things. If God is glorious, which I believe he is, if God is glorious, nothing else can be. If God is glorious, nothing else can be. He transcends all things. So, acknowledging God's glory. Secondly, it is seeing God's glory. How do you see it? How do you see his glory? Well, I think that, that in Exodus 33, this chapter, verse 19 and 20, it says, he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. So Moses makes this request, and he has seen the glory of God in some of these ways already. Um, I, I would say in general revelation, you know, in Psalm 19, verse 1, it says, the heavens, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The firmament shows his handiwork. So you look at the, the face of a little baby, you, you, look into, to, you look at the mountains, you look at the trees, you look at all of creation, and every, every part of creation speaks to God's existence and his glory. So all of creation declares that. In Isaiah 40, verses 22 to 26, the prophet says, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. So God has real. You know how we, we have that question, well, how do people know? I mean, if some remote island or some jungle someplace, how do people know? Well, it begins with general revelation. And this is what Romans 1.19 says. It says, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the thing, and the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. So if you kind of follow this, Everyone has general revelation of the glory of God. And Jeremiah says, if you, 
if you seek me, the Lord says, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you search for me with all your heart. So God does provide a way for the person in the jungle in the middle of nowhere with no missionaries to observe the glory of God and seek him. And if they seek him, they will find him. God will work miraculously to bring them to hear about Christ who fulfills all things. So that's how general, general revelation works. Um, we observe many, many things that declare the glory of God. But then there's also specific revelation where God reveals like he did to Moses at the burning bush. He's out there, been there for 40 years, uh, walking through the desert, herding sheep, and all of a sudden this bush is burning, but it's not being consumed, and the Lord speaks from the bush, and he has an encounter with God, uh, and God gives him his, his instruction of what he's to do. So this is what we'll call specific revelation. He saw that in the miracles in Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the cloud by day, the pillar by night, the giving of the Ten Commandments, uh, his presence in the, the tent outside the camp where his presence would dwell, and God showed himself in specific ways. Now, when we talk about the hand of God or the arm of God or the face of God or the back of God, like, like we did here, um, you'll have sometimes what we call a theophany, a picture of God in the Old Testament, or a Christophany, a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. Um, and we've talked about a number of those. And you also have what we call anthropomorphism. In other words, it's a God is a spirit. Uh, we that worship him in John 4, 26, is we worship him in spirit and truth. So God is a spirit. God does not have a body. Christ has a body. So how do you see his hand? And so these are either pictures for us, for us to be able to comprehend, help us to understand, to speak face-to-face. -face. Basically what he's saying, when I'm speaking face-to-face, -face, I have direct communication and friendship. So that's the picture that he uses. But the clearest way that God has shown his face and shown himself to us is we find in the New Testament. Listen to this. This is, this is to me, you know how I say it? Every, everything in the Old Testament gets to Christ. <laughs> We're going to see that, <clears throat> that here probably in the best way possible. In John chapter 1, it says, And the Word, this is speaking of Christ, the Word became flesh. That's the Word became flesh. That's a baby. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. The baby came. We have seen his glory. The word, God is the word. God, the word made flesh. We have beheld his glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now he goes on in verse 18 to say, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the father's side, he has made him known. In other words, Jesus is the face of God. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, it says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, 
has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the light of the glory of God we see in the face of Jesus Christ. So what, what makes God real? What makes God tangible? What makes God approachable? What makes God uh, have the capacity, or us to have the capacity to have relationship? It is in Christ, the face of God. In Hebrews 1, it describes Jesus this way. He is the radiance of the glory of God. That's Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So you see how this all ties together. So God sends his son. This is the exact representation. And this is how we can come to know him personally. So acknowledging the glory of God, it's everywhere both generally and specifically, seeing God's glory. Uh, he has made that possible primarily through his son, Jesus Christ. There's no other way to see God than through Christ, the living word. And this last part I want to get to, because this is, this is where it really, to me, is life-changing, is reflecting his glory. Now, here's what happened with Moses. <clears throat> he comes down from the mountain. He doesn't realize it, but his face is glowing. Now, typically, when I think of someone who has a really great countenance, it's always fun to be around people that have a great countenance, just kind of kind of glow. But he really did glow. <laughs> and he didn't realize it. And he comes down, and, and they see that glow on his face, it is reflect, a reflective light from being in his presence. You can't be in the presence of God and not be changed. That's really the point. He comes down and he actually had to cover his face when he talked to the people because it was so bright. Now they had a tent outside the encampment before they built the tabernacle and Moses would go into this Tent. Joshua would wait outside. He'd go into the tent and speak with God. And every time he came out, he'd have his face glowing. <laughs> and he'd have to put a veil over his face. So what was the impact upon the people? We go all the way into 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, and, and makes reference to this. Chapter 34, verse 29, where it says, Moses came down from the mountain with two tablets of testimony in his hand, and as he came from the mountain, Moses did not know that his skin, the skin of his face, shone because he'd been talking with God. So all the way into the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about this. And it says that today... The Jews have a veil upon their heart because they don't see the truth about Christ. So in the New Testament, Christ actually does come. In the Old Testament, we're speaking about the coming Messiah. Now he comes, and they don't believe. 
That's how it's described um, in verse 13 or verse 15 of, of 2 Corinthians 3. It says, To this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when someone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, 17 and 18, to me, probably is the best description. If you want to write this down to just kind of go through this, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 describes how we, how we grow. How we go from acknowledging him to seeing him to reflecting him. In other words, we change to become like him. This is, what, this is what happens when you spend time with someone, is you become like them. Here's what it says. Now the, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, we, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, of all the scriptures in the Bible, if I'm, talking to, if I'm talking to someone about how you grow, how you grow, how you get closer to God, I take them right here, verse 18. This is how it happens. So, we all, with open face, in other words, we take the veil away off our hearts, off our face, and we behold as in a glass. And the, the Greek word is mirror. It's like a mirror. The glory of the Lord. We behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. What's he talking about? The scriptures. He's also talking about Christ. He's talking about God. So God sent his son, who is the living word. This is when you tie in all into John chapter 1. He is the word. So as I gaze into this word and behold it, the glory of the Lord, it says, I am changed. I am changed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. In other words, it's incremental. And it's probably not like this. <laughs> Your Christian growth is probably not like this. Mine hasn't been. It's, it's kind of... <laughs> It's like this. We talk about it three steps forward, two steps back, or maybe five steps back. But it is incremental. And it should be going on all your life. And I really want to challenge some of you because I, I search my own heart on this. It is so easy to coast. Say, I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven. It's not just getting to the promised land. It's the relationship between Egypt and the promised land. That's what it's about. It's not just getting there. It's growing and developing. And, and the way that's designed to happen is, is you behold Christ in this word, the glory of God. And as you affirm what he's teaching you, that's what beholding really means. It means you, you, you read it, you stop and think about it, and you obey it. You respond to it. You affirm it. So the greatest work I feel that God, um, that I see in this passage, all these passages, is from God's stamp standpoint, his glory is revealed. 
His glory is revealed. And for us, rightly responding to that, affirming that, is worship. And, and he created you and me for that purpose, to worship him, to enjoy him, to love him, to long after him. It's like if, if Moses could say it in modern terminology, Lord, I want to know you more. I know you've shown me the way. You've shown me your presence. I want to see your glory. I want to know it better. And pretty soon, what you find about Christians who behold as in a glass the glory of the Lord, they begin to radiate. And it's not just their face glowing, it's their whole life glowing to reflect the character of God, to reflect his love and his kindness and his patience and his truth. We're not, we don't become God, but we become like him. We look like our father. We look like our brother. We are created for that purpose. Isaiah 43, verse 7, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I have formed and made. He created us for his glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, uh, turn around verse for me. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is true worship and why he is revealed. So I wonder if <laughs> you sometimes hear a message like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go, go ahead and go to the promised land. Go ahead and go. Okay, I know the way. I know the way. Okay. We'll go. Moses says, Lord, I'm not going unless you go with me. I'm not going unless you go with me. Show us the way, but you got to go with us and show me your glory. Incrementally, ever increasing with Moses. So the three levels that J.R. Packard talks about, how do you know God? That's what I want to kind of end with this morning. How do you know God? Do you know God because you're aware of God? You're conscious of him? Or do you know God intellectually because you read about him and you know a lot of facts? Or do you know God as your friend, personally, relationally, intimately? This is what he desires for you, what he has created for you to enjoy. And you must come to God by way of Jesus Christ. The full, Jesus Christ is the full expression of the Father. And God communicates that to us through his word, the mirror that we're to stay in. And he changes us from glory to glory. So if God is glorious, nothing else can be. If God is glorious, nothing else can be. Worship him. Worship him. When all that I am responds rightly to all that he is. So in 10 years, where are you going to be? I know how I think about that question. I think vocation, occupation, 
my health, <laughs> where I'm going to be 10 years with the Lord. My prayer is that all along the way, I keep growing. Father, thank you for your word, for just a practical relevance of what we read, not just for Moses and all of Israel, but for us today. Give us that longing heart that would not just want to know the way or be assured of your presence, but to say, show me your glory. And Lord, may we celebrate that in Jesus' name. Amen.